James, book of James, one last time. This will probably be the last in our series on the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, the last two verses, as we've been talking about genuine faith. And uh, James does hardly any time defining genuine faith. He And rather, he says, this is what faith acts like. It's interesting, the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews does the same thing. Uh, he talks a lot about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He gives one verse, like a one or two verse definition of faith. And, uh, but he talks about what faith does. And so a lot of times it's how faith acts is more important than, uh, than you can define it. Okay, so we're going to look at it tonight as we uh, kind of close out the book of James. As he's been looking at a lot of different uh, opportunities in life to live by faith. Uh, James is really sort of a... Um, sort of a wisdom literature book. Um, the other wisdom literature books, in the, hardly any in the New Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Psalms is somewhat of a wisdom literature book. And so they're um, bite-sized pieces of wisdom. Uh, James doesn't have long, long uh, themes. He kind of goes from, from topic to topic and says, if, you really have, if you're really living by faith, this is what it looks like. So we're going to end up tonight, uh, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And uh, see what he has to say to us. If you remember, James is the uh, brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus. How would you like to do that? Your brother's Jesus. How many times did his parents say, why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> well, why can't y'all be more like Jesus? <laughs> you know, because he's, he's just never, Jesus never does anything wrong, does he? No, no actually, he didn't. Um, so look, if you will, in verse 19, brethren, and of course, that's sister in as well, brothers and sisters, if any among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. A guy named Ron Lee Davis tells the story of Robert Robertson in his book, uh, Courage to Begin Again. He tells the story of Robert Robinson. It was a bright Sunday morning in 18th century London. Uh, but it was anything but bright in Robert Robinson's heart. Very dismal, very dark time in his life. All along the street, there were people hurrying to church. It was a Sunday morning. Uh, Robert Robinson was not intended on going to church. He hadn't been to church in a long time. And uh, the sound of church bells reminded him of past days when he used to go to church. But he had uh, gotten really, really far away from that. And he heard, uh, as I said, this is the 18th century, he heard um, a clip-clop of a horse-drawn taxi. Uh, coming down the road, and Robert Robinson uh, waved his hand to flag the taxi down. And when the uh, driver of the taxi slowed the horses down to pick Robert Robinson up, he saw there was a lady in there dressed up to go to church. And when he saw that she was dressed up to go to church, he said, never mind, I, you know, I don't want to get in. And the lady said, I would love for you to get in and share the cab with me. And so he didn't really want to, but uh, he, she said to him, she said, would you like to go to church? And he wasn't planning on it. But you know how sometimes things happen. And he said, just, I, I mean, he said he was going to decline. But he finally said, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church. And so he stepped in the cabbage. Uh, cabbage. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Stepped in the carriage. And I sat down beside the young woman. And as they rode along, they introduced themselves. She said, my name is so-and-so. And he said, well, my name is Robert Robinson. And there was a flicker of recognition in her mind, and she said, really? She said, that is so interesting. She said, what a coincidence, because I've been reading a book of inspirational poems, and I've been reading a poem by a guy named Robert Robinson. And uh, he took the book, and he said, yes, 
that's my poem. That's the poem I wrote. And um, she's like, well, that is such a cool thing. Imagine sharing a carriage, sharing a taxi, horse-drawn taxi with a guy who wrote a poem that I've just been reading. Robert Robinson was hardly listening to her, though. He was absorbed in the words that he was reading, words that he himself had written years before, um, the words that would one day be set to music, become a great hymn of the faith. He began to read his own words. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. His eyes slipped to the bottom of the page where he began to read. could hardly read it for the tears that started filling his eyes and spilling down his face. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. He could barely, as I said, read those last lines. And he told the lady, he said, yes, I am the one that wrote that poem. And I've lived it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And he said, I've left the God I love. And she said, but Mr. Robinson, that's not the end of the poem. The end of the poem says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it. For thy courts above, you can offer your heart back to God today. And he can seal it today. And you begin walking with Christ again today. And he did. In that carriage, he came back to Christ, offered his heart back to God, and walked with God from that day to the day he died. A happenstance meeting, somebody that had wandered away and was brought back by a lovely lady who just happened to recognize his name. It just so happened that he got in the right cab at the right time. And that's what these two verses are about tonight. James is talking about people who wandered away. And here's the thing. All of us have that pro are prone to do that. All of us are prone to leave the God we love it. It's an odd phrase, isn't it? How could you leave the one that you love? But praise God, it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson. Praise God, it's not too late for you. And praise God, because we all have friends and we all have family who've wandered away from God. Some of those have never been saved, and your heart is broken because you want to see them saved. You want to see them come back to Jesus or to give their life for the very first time to Christ. And if you are genuinely saved, the best thing that's ever happened to you is that you were saved. You heard Nick Foles in a testimony from YouTube this morning say that the day he gave his life to Christ was the best day of his life. Super Bowl winner, somebody who caught a comeback quarterback in the NFL. This was the best, and he's right. Eternity, a Super Bowl win is nothing compared to eternity in heaven or hell. If you're genuinely saved, nothing should bother you more than friends and family that doesn't know Jesus. And then there's others of us who are, are, are the same boat. There are people that we know that profess to be a Christian, that profess that they have known Christ, and yet they have wandered away. And it breaks your heart because part of you wonders, were they genuinely saved? Did they really give their heart and life to Jesus? And if they did, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for them to come back 
the Christ. And so while it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson, let me tell you, encourage you tonight, it's not too late for your loved ones either. As long as they're alive and breathing on this earth, Jesus said, whosoever will can come to me. Praise God, he has salvation and rest and forgiveness for anybody that'll come back to him. So we want to look at this tonight about this idea of wondering and bringing people back to Christ. As James kind of concludes his letter, he's talked about a lot of things. He's talked about trials and temptations when it's difficult in life. That's when some people stray away. He talks about uh, temptation when we're enticed by Satan. He uses the idea of a bait or a lure, and that's when some people walk away. He's talked about favoritism in the church, how sometimes uh, churches will favor one group over another group. In James's day, it was the rich over the poor, and that can cause a lot of people to walk away. Would you feel like you are mistreated in church, or you're overlooked, or somebody in church is more important than you for some reason or another? It's easy for somebody to walk away. The book of Proverbs says, a brother offended is harder one than a walled city. Somebody that has a hard church experience, they've been overlooked, or they've been mistreated, or they have been kind of shut out. They're, they're hard to win back to Christ, right? And he's talked about that. He's talked about a friendship with the world, how sometimes as Christians we act more like the world than we do like Christ. And he says that's when some people wander away. He's talked about true wisdom. The true wisdom is, first of all, pure and peaceable. Sometimes when the church doesn't live in peace, that causes some people to wander away. And then we've talked about how the rich have mistreated the poor. They've withheld their pay. They've, people have been hurt by other Christians. And he talks about that causes some people to wander away. And so we come down, it's really in the context of prayer. He doesn't mention prayer in verses 19 and 20. He does in the section just before this. I think it's very applicable to apply prayer to this part that we're talking about tonight. And so what James does, he writes about people that wander away, which can be any of us. And as a church, each one of us has the responsibility to offer people the opportunity to come back. Not just to church, but to Jesus, right? Not just to church, but to Jesus. And it appears, it appears that some of those who've wandered away are still attending church. How many of you know you can sit in church while you're wandering away? You can be far away from God and sit in church every Sunday. So let's talk about it tonight. I want to talk about three things about this idea of genuine faith and wandering away. First of all, I want to talk about the reality of wandering away. The reality is this. It can happen to any of us. Any of us can make that decision to wander away. We need to face the reality that Christians do wander off track sometimes. Christians do get away from God sometimes. The Old Testament word, the word here is wander. The Old Testament word is backsliding. That's kind of a Baptist word. We Baptists have sort of adopted that Old Testament word, and it's a good word. There's nothing wrong uh, with the word. But we are, uh, if you've fought, tried to follow Jesus for any length of time, you understand that you've seen people wander away, and you have your own heart, and you know that you've been tempted to wander away as well. And so James is saying, this is, a, this is what I want to wind my book up with. I want to, I want to finish out with this because... Here are some, mar that all, all what he's written here 
are markers. When you show favoritism, when you show prejudice, when you react poorly in trials, when you're friends with the world, uh, he talks a lot about the tongue and speech, when our speech becomes ungodly. These are all markers, signs that we've wandered away. These things don't cause you to wander away. You wander away first, and then these things start showing up in your life. A lot of times, when somebody starts skipping church, and they've been out of church for two or three months, not all the time, but many times, they wandered away six months before they started skipping church. They wandered away three months maybe before they started skipping church or started skipping their quiet time. It start, these are signs. All these ungodly things that James talks about, these sins that he talks about, these are signs that you did wander away. So we have to look at the reality of this. Look at James chapter 5, verse 18. My brothers and sisters, if any of you should wander from the truth. Okay, wander. the word wander suggests a gradual moving away. So like I said a minute ago, the word backsliding is a sliding away. Many, many times it's a gradual thing that starts happening. And the word wander here can mean one of two things. It can either mean that I deliberately chose to start wandering. Okay? And, and it's interesting. It's wandering. It's not just jumping out. For most of you tonight, for most of you tonight, the temptation here, for those of you here on a Sunday night, the temptation for you tonight is probably, the biggest temptation for you tonight is probably not to go cuss your family out tonight. <laughs> Hopefully that's not your biggest temptation. It's not to get in a knife fight at the bar. It's not to drink hot, unsweetened tea instead of ice sweet tea. Big major sins in people's lives. It's... <laughs> It's something else. It's to start. It's to start loving something more than Jesus. Very subtle shift. It's having a half-hearted quiet time, wondering if it's doing you any good. It's skipping your quiet time altogether. It's skipping church after you've had a hard week. It's compromising on your entertainment. What you look at on the internet. It's fault finding with other Christians. When you start wandering away, you tend to think, well, at least. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not doing what they're doing. At least I'm not doing all kinds of things out there. We start fault-finding, criticizing, comparing ourselves to somebody we feel like is not walking as close to Jesus as we are, or getting mad at somebody and not repenting and not forgiving. It's a slope. It's a gradual kind of slope. In Genesis chapter 13, too, you know, the Bible talks about Lot. And I love the way it talks about the King James Version. It says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Interestingly enough, that's in Genesis 13. Pitch his tent towards Sodom. Other translations say pitch his tent near Sodom. Now, we know Sodom was a horrid place, a place full of wickedness, full of sinfulness. And Abraham tells Lot, look, choose any part of this land you want. And this looks like a good place to make money, but it's a very wicked way. It's going to hurt his relationship with God. It's going to hurt his family's relationship with God. And so he went towards Sodom in Genesis 14. He's living in Sodom, and then you get on to another chapter or two, and he's sitting in the gates, which means he's kind of a leader of Sodom. You see, if you start a direction, unless you repent, that sets the direction you end up in your life. That sets your destination. See, it's important where you are with Jesus tonight, but what also is important is the direction you're moving. So let me ask you a question. See if you can be very honest with yourself tonight and, and ask the Holy Spirit to be honest with you tonight. Are you moving toward Jesus in the last month, 
or away. In the last year, have you been growing closer to Jesus or have you been wandering or drifting away? And notice the wanderer has moved from the truth. Anybody who's wandered from the truth, there are two things that are called truth in God's Word. Maybe more than this, but at least two big things that are called truth. God's Word is truth. Thy Word is truth. Jesus is the way, the what? The truth. And so when we wander, we wander from the truth of God's Word. We wander away from Jesus. And sometimes when people wander, we get concerned about them and we talk to them. And so I've had people so many times tell me, don't worry about me. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I know, you know, this, and, and I, I know it doesn't look great, and I, I know you used to be involved over here, but I, I, but I love the Lord. Hardly anybody says, I've wandered away. <laughs> but you've got to be honest with God and say, am I truly wandering away? One person said it this way. Sin is out to catch and kill, but Jesus is out to catch and make alive. <laughs> Amen. To catch and make alive. So the backsliding, wandering away. And so wandering can either be an intentional wandering away, and sometimes it's being led astray. The word can also be somebody you know and trust and admire, and you think a lot of them, and they start wandering away from Christ. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a former pastor. Maybe it's somebody, a grandparent or a parent or somebody that you're really, really close to in youth group. And you just thought a lot of them, and they started wandering away. And you thought, well, gee, if they're not going to grow up close, why should I? Well, because of your soul, <laughs> because of your relationship with Christ, because Jesus is worth it. And I can almost promise you, if it hasn't already happened, it's happened to me numerous times, if it hasn't already happened, somebody you know and you love and you trust and you respect greatly is going to wander away from Jesus. And it's going to hurt your heart. And if that's never happened to you, pastor a church for about a month. Become a youth pastor for about a month. Uh, become a Sunday school teacher. Just follow Jesus in a family. <laughs> it doesn't really matter where you're at. If you follow Jesus very seriously, your heart's going to be hurt because of somebody you looked up to. Man, one of the guys I respected the most when I was in seminary, my goodness, it broke my heart when he wondered just without any just left and that's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's gonna happen listen I, what continually comes back to me is when Jesus and Peter were walking on the shore of Galilee uh, you know we talk about the last supper the last breakfast is pretty important for you too, right when they had the last breakfast and uh, Jesus asked Peter three times if you love me reminding him of his three denials and he tells Peter he's going to probably end up giving his life for him. And one of the first things Peter does is look around John's walk. John loved Jesus, didn't he? Even though he wasn't part of that conversation, he just kind of wanted to hang around. He just kind of wanted to be close. And in case something happens, I want to be there to see it. You know, I love John. And so he's kind of lingering around. Reminds me of Joshua. And I've been reading the Exodus in my quiet time. Moses would go to the tent of Medi. This is before the tabernacle was built. He'd go down there, and the cloud would come down. He would meet with God. Joshua would stay there with him. And Moses come back to the, to the uh, community, and it said Joshua would linger in the tent. Just want to soak in the presence of God. Just want to be a part of that. And uh, when Jesus tells Peter about the hard thing he's going to have to face, Peter does what a lot of us do. He looked around and saw John and said, what about him? <laughs> if I got to do that, what about him? They got to do that too. And uh, man, God has used these words in my heart so many times. He said, and this is the very contemporary version, the BCV. 
He said, it's none of your business. You follow me. You follow me. And so what happens so many times is, it's easy for us, especially in the South, it's easy for us to keep up a pretense of Christianity without really following Jesus. A lot of people go to church in the South. A lot of people are nice and have pretty good morals. But being nice and going to church and have pretty good morals, it's not the same thing as following closely to Jesus because we can do those things and not really repent when God convicts us of a sin. We can do those things and not really boldly follow Jesus in our daily life. We can do those things and not really share our faith with others in Christ and not really make decisions based on God's Word and God's law and God's love and not really embrace ministry opportunities, not really forgiving other people. So first of all, there's the reality all of us are prone to wonder. Second thing I want you to see is the responsibility. The responsibility. Jesus says, we all have a responsibility. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men and women. Follow me and I'm going to help you bring people back to me. James is saying, in light of all that I've written here, look out for each other. You are, we are responsible for each other. We're responsible for bringing people back. He instructs the church as a whole to watch and help each other stay close to Jesus. I love Luke 15, the first two parables in that chapter when he says that God is like a shepherd that has 99 sheep and he goes out and seeks that one lost one. And he's like a lady who had 10 coins and she lost one and she cleans the whole house until she finds it. When we lose something at our house, I, I really want to find it quickly. Because if we don't find it quickly, Laura says, the best way to find it is just to clean up. <laughs> Can we not just look a little more? <laughs> Like, Lord, please help. Please, I'm going to have to clean the room. We're going to hurry up and find this. And so, so that lady cleans. You're biblical. <laughs> the lady cleans the house. You know, it just occurred to me. doesn't say her husband helps. <laughs> I'm not sure that's good interpretation. <laughs> but it doesn't say that. <laughs> but she cleans the whole house until she finds it. I love that about God, don't you? That he seeks after you. When you wander off, he doesn't just say, buddy, you should have known better. You made your bed, <laughs> now lay in. Start what he says. He says he goes out and he looks and he brings the wandering one back. He tugs at the wandering one's heart. And our part of our responsibility as a church is to do that for each other. Because a lot of times, we don't realize how far off we've gotten. I do love the fact that our phones can give us directions. I have a wonderful sense of misdirection. And uh, before phones, some of y'all uh, may have studied this in school. There's this old ancient artifact that we used to have. They're called a map. And you had maps. Almost everybody, we always made sure we had maps in the glove compartment of the car. And that's so your dad could fuss at your mom if he misses a turn. <laughs> Why don't you read that map right? Well, I'm trying, you know, upside down. But it's so cool when the phone, when, when you just ask your phone. And, and what I love about it is if you miss a turn, it just says, you know, make a U-turn at the next stop or take a left at the next stop. It never says, I told you to turn. <laughs> but what's troubling, <laughs> and this happened to me one time. I was in another city, 
And I uh, didn't know where I, I was visiting somebody in the hospital. And uh, I was actually over in Columbus, Georgia is where I was. And I don't know anything about Columbus, Georgia. And so um, I was coming home, and it was late in the evening. I was sleepy and tired, and I was following serious directions. And y'all, she just quit. I mean, she stopped. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you can't leave me out here. Now I don't know where I'm at. I'm in the middle of town. I don't know where I'm going. And I uh, turned the phone off several times, and, and she just wouldn't come back. And so I kind of had a general idea of where I was supposed to go. I had a general idea of the direction I was going. I knew I just keep going this direction. I'll hit the interstate. When I hit the interstate, I'll know where I'm at, you know. So I just kept driving for a while, and um, I didn't run into the interstate as quickly as I thought I would. And so I drove a little bit further, and finally I stopped at a store. And, um, you know, the, the old stop at the gas station thing, we used to do that before we had phones, and we couldn't figure it out on the map. So I stopped at a gas station and uh, asked somebody, you know, can you please tell me where I'm at? I'm not from around here. Well, I figured that. So I asked two or three more people to finally find somebody, and they said, you want to go where? <laughs> it's never a good sign. Where? Oh, that's a long ways from here. I said, well, I, I, I feel like I'm going the right. Oh, no, you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> you need to turn around, and you need to go that way. And I had to stop at another gas station. <laughs> I went that way several miles, stop at another gas station. Here's the thing. I felt pretty good about the direction I was going. I felt sure the interstate had to be up there pretty close. But if I kept driving, I was going to end up in Miami. <laughs> I was not getting closer. I'm steadily, I could have visited with Jan, okay? I was steadily going the wrong direction, but I didn't realize it. Why? I didn't have truth in front of me. And you can feel like you're doing the right thing, feel like you're going the right direction. If it conflicts with God's Word and it conflicts with the lifestyle of Jesus, you need to turn around the Bible word for that is what? It's repent. And here's the thing. We're all to help each other stay close to Jesus. And it's not the pastor's job. It's not the youth pastor's job. It's not the worship leader's job. Everybody's job. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why did he give them? Not to do all the work. Okay. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I see my job as a player coach. Okay? I'm a player. This is to me. I'm a part of it. I am to, to, to do this. But I'm also, when I preach, when you teach, we're discipling each other. What are we doing? We're helping each other know how to bring some of the lost people back. That's part of what we're doing. And you see... If we say, well, uh, that's the pastor's job. Well, I don't go to work with you. <laughs> you know, Hulk couldn't go, go to school with the teenagers. Uh, I, I'm responsible for the people that I know. Hulk's responsible for the people he knows. You're responsible for the people that you know. It's not the You can't hire enough staff to do the work of the church. It's everybody's job. Look at what a, a James 5 says in the message translation. It says, my dear friends... If you know people who've wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. I love that, don't you? Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction. And watch this. And prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Do you know 
who the person most likely to bring somebody back is? The person they know and trust the most. You see, if somebody's wandered off and uh, I don't know them very well and I haven't spoken to them in six or eight months and I've had this happen before and it's not a great idea typically. Somebody say, Preacher, why don't you give them a call? Well, if they don't know me very well and I've not talked to them in a long time, I don't, you know, I don't have, a real, have a relationship with them, it's going to come better from you than me, <laughs> okay? Uh, the preacher to call them, oh, man, the preacher called me up. I'm going to really be in trouble, you know? I got people that I love and I know and I'm close to and I can talk to things about uh, things like that. But every one of us have people in our circle of influence. They trust you. They know you. They're friends with you. You're the one. I'm the one to people that are closest to us. So the people they love and trust and know the best are the people that have the best opportunity to bring them back. And last of all, I would say the word rescue. The word rescue. James writes it in terms of rescue. Look at how he writes it, James 5.20. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. If you save somebody from death, you've rescued them, right? Somebody's drowning, you save them. Somebody's in, in a fire, you save them. Somebody has an accident, you take them to the emergency room. If you uh, are instrumental in saving somebody from death, you have saved them, okay? You've rescued them, and that's what he says. He says, look, look for opportunities to encourage people, to help people get back to Christ. That's the most important issue of their life. And here's the thing. The sooner we can get involved in the, and of course, you got to do it in love, right? You can't just say, dude, man, you, you're messing up. You, you better get right or God's going to knock you out of the head. I mean, you know, you, you gotta, it, it comes from a broken heart. It comes from love. It comes from compassion. But you got to know this is serious stuff. 2017, when I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, I went to the doctor, and, and they, I, I didn't think I had prostate cancer. They didn't think I had prostate cancer. But when the diagnosis came out, came out and I went to the surgeon, talked with them, and, and he said to me, he said, and Laura was in the room, and he said, you know, your numbers really aren't terrible. They're not really that bad. This is, these are numbers are low. It's very slow growing. Um, so we can do a couple of things. One is um, we can do surgery and do that. Uh, one is we can do some radiation treatments, and uh, that, might, that might help. He said, be honest with you. If you want to, we can just watch it for six months. The numbers are low. It's slow growing. Um, it's not a real, you know, it's not it's something that has to be done today. We could watch it for six months and see what happens. That was the least attractive alternative to me. Because unless, unless there's a supernatural healing from God, it ain't going away. <laughs> you know, it's not just going to spontaneously heal itself. So I said if we watch it, one of two things is going to happen. One is it's going to grow slow or it's going to grow fast. And he said, right. I said, let's get it out. Get it out. I, don't, I want to be, I don't, that thing, that cancer will kill me. <laughs> will kill me if I leave it in there. I want it out of my body <laughs> I want it out okay and so uh, I now I did not want to have surgery and I really didn't want to have recovery <laughs> I really didn't want the pain and the process and the junk that goes along with the recovery I really didn't want any of that but I also didn't want to die <laughs> I didn't want to have serious cancer that gets outside of the prostate metastasizes now I got to do chemo and all this other kind of stuff I knew that it was only going to get worse if I didn't address it now and that's what wandering from God's life 
If you don't address it today, it's going to get worse. It's not just going to automatically get better. And when people start wandering from the Lord, that's when affairs start. That's when divorce starts. That's when addiction to drugs and alcohol starts. That's when avoidable debt. Please hear me say that. Avoidable debt starts. Now, you, you know, you have sickness, you get in the hospital and lose your job. You may be some debts that's unavoidable, but avoidable debt is what I'm talking about. Out of control anger, pornography, gambling, ugly language. These horrible things start with wandering from the Lord. The best thing you can do for yourself, your family, your church is to stay very, very close to Jesus. We all have the opportunity and the responsibility for caring for each other. Now, as you look at this, it says he'll save his soul from death. And so it raises the question of, uh, are these people saved? Or are they saved and lost their salvation? Well, I mean, what's the issue here? And the answer to that, I'm very glad I can tell you the precise answer to that, which is, we don't know. <laughs> now, James has already raised the question, already raised the issue, that people can say that they have faith and not have faith. He's already said people can say they have faith, but it's dead faith, and it doesn't save. And so there's a possibility that he's talking about people who claim to be a Christian, but they've never been saved. They said a prayer once night, like Nick Foles talked about in the YouTube video this morning. Did the church stuff, you know, said the prayer, baptized, you know, do all that kind of stuff. There's a difference in doing that and really giving your heart and life to Christ. And so it may be that, uh, the other idea is it could be a Christian who's wandered away and the death he's talking about is physical death. I don't think he's talking about somebody can lose their salvation because here's the interpretation principle. You always interpret the obscure by the clear. This is kind of an obscure verse. We have, it gets a couple of clear verses. In Ephesians chapter 4.30, see, a person that has genuine faith, I believe the Scripture's clear, cannot be eternally lost. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. The word sealed means ownership. You were sealed for the day of redemption. That's the final day when we see Christ. To me, that's clear. You're owned by God until the day that we see Jesus. Romans 8.30, one other verse. I won't give you all my verses on eternal security. Let me just give you a couple. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Watch this. Those he justified, the word justified means saved. Those who saved, he also glorified, which is in the past tense. The people that he justified here in Rome were still alive, but he wrote it like they were already in heaven. If it's in the past tense, even God doesn't change it. See, when you're born again, you're born into a family. You know, also, another term of salvation is you've been made alive. The other term is you've been adopted into us. You don't get unborn again. You don't get kicked out of families, okay? You're born into it, and you're there. God's your father. And so he say, he's not saying anything against eternal security. He's saying either these people weren't genuinely saved, which is extremely dangerous. Because if a person thinks they're saved, and they're not, it's, it's like their house is on fire, and their alarm system's broken. Terribly. And look at Col one more verse. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Watch this. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, watch this, and do not move from the hope held out in the 
gospel. He's, he's, he, see, there's some verses in Scripture like this that have a little bite to them when it comes to eternal security. And why those, sometimes in eternal security, we just say, well, you know, you're saved, don't worry about anything. But there's a little bite here we don't need to take out. If a person is genuinely saved, they shouldn't wander away and stay gone forever. They should come back. They should repent. God's Spirit lives in them. And that's why he says, don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. It's not like they can sin so much they lose their salvation. It says that they have quit trusting in Christ, which means to me they never probably trusted to start with. So once again, who has the greatest opportunity to reclaim someone who's straying? The person they know and love and trust the most. It's hard to emphasize how important this is for us. Our relationship with God, our friend's relationship with God, our family's relationship with God is more important than anything else in the world. I pray more for my family's relationship with Christ than I do anything else. I pray more for our church's relationship with Christ than I pray for anything else. My loved ones, I pray more for their relationship with Christ than anything else. Why? It's more important than anything else. So I want to close a different way tonight. Um, not going to ask Lisa to go to the piano. Not going to have music and things like that. Here's what I'd like for us to do tonight. I'm going to invite you to come to the front. Um, if you want to kneel around the altar, you kneel around the altar. If you want to sit in the front pews, you can sit in the front pews. And I want us to close with a time of prayer for our friends and family who don't know Jesus. Our friends and family don't know Jesus. So those of you who will, just want to come to the front. Uh, so you, don't have to, you don't have to come to the front if you don't want to. It's fine. If you want to kneel at the altar, if you want to sit in the pews, whatever you want to do. But let's just come to the front and, um, and let's just have a time of prayer for people that don't know Christ. Friends and family, you can feel free uh, to pray out loud or pray silently. Um, whichever way you feel most comfortable praying, you can pray one sentence, you can pray for somebody by name, you don't have to pray for them by name. But let's just pray, I think it's such an important thing, is just to pray for our lost friends, our lost family members, people that have wandered away from Jesus. And so tonight, what I'm going to do is just open it up and say whoever feels like opening, whoever wants to pray first, just go ahead and pray first. And we'll just pray. And uh, when I sense that we're done, I'll close in our prayer prayer time so no specific agenda no certain amount of people need to pray nobody has to pray out loud or anything like that 